Amen. Let me uh, talk to you a little bit this morning about timeless testaments. I'm going to give you the story of Gideon. Uh, and I'm going to title this message, Small Faith and Small Steps. Really, we're talking about the journey out of sin. And I hope you'll share this with someone uh, when you leave this place today. But uh, what does it take to get victory over sin? What does it take to live that overcoming, victorious life? Uh, and maybe today you've experienced in your life, maybe it's recently or maybe it's in your past, you've experienced uh, devastating consequences. You've gotten yourself at a place or you've been at places where things were just devastating, that things were robbed from you. Everything that you worked towards, maybe it was taken away from you or maybe everything that you tried to do by your own efforts just kind of fell short of you. Maybe if you've ever been in a season uh, where things just didn't go very well, uh, that maybe you were even oppressed by the enemy. Uh, so what do you do? In those moments when you feel powerless over your circumstances or you feel powerless over your emotions or powerless over the thoughts in your mind or powerless over your condition of your life. Uh, and when you get to that moment, it feels like God has maybe abandoned you and you don't know where he's at and why am I gotten to this place and how did I get here? And I didn't think life would turn out this way. And many of us, if we were honest, we have had those thoughts or we've been to those places, if not now, but maybe in your past. Uh, we're going to talk this morning about how even though uh, sin, it devastates, and sin, it separates. This earth is torn up with sin, uh, and we're all falling short of the glory of God. And sin, it separates and it devastates us. But God is looking for this faithful remnant of people who will believe His simple, steadfast, straightforward word for us, and that we would hold on to it and take small steps by faith. And Gideon was one such man. A small man in a small town with small faith and small means who had a big victory with the glory, in the glory of God. And we're going to tell his story today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I thank God for a Christ who gives grace and power to us if we're willing to take small steps of faith. And even if you are... I feel like you're a person of small means and small faith in a small town. You can take some small steps and you're going to see the glory of God show up victoriously in your life. Let me talk to you about devastation first. After Moses and Joshua have died, we find ourselves after the Exodus in the land of promise in Israel. And God has given Israel his word. But Moses is gone, Joshua is gone, their great leaders, Deborah, one of the first judges, has even gone, and she's died. And the Bible says that Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges 6, 1 through 2, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So here's the setting. Israel had gotten confident in their own abilities and their own means. And so Israel begins to uh, not deny God, but they begin to worship other gods alongside him. And they begin to puff themselves up in their pride and their own ability. And there is this uh, people that they had victor, uh, victory over at one point in time, the Midianites. But now because of this, God had left them to their own devices. He had left them to the consequences of their own sin in the hopes that they would repent. 
And so Midian comes in, and they come in vast hordes. The Bible says they came like locusts, and they begin to devour all the produce. Or they take all their sheep, they take all their goats, they take all their crops. And they would come in by the tens of thousands, even over 100,000 people would come in like a locust plague and just sweep over and take everything they worked hard to get and build up. That's what sin does. It devastates. It conquers. Everything that we try to build up on our own effort and, and without God in one moment, a man who builds his own empire and says, I'm going to get to the height of, of my career. I'm going to get to the best things I can get. I'm going to acquire all the things I can have. In a moment without God, it can be swept away by the things of this world. And that's what happened to Israel. They begin to live their life not without God, but with other things alongside of him. They begin to have a God on Sunday and say, yes, I'm, they wouldn't, if we were a Christian today, would say, well, I'm not, not a Christian. I believe in God. I believe there is a Jesus. But maybe there's other gods alongside of us in our life that on Monday morning, I have a different God. It's my career. And on the weekends, I have a different God. It's my boat and my hobbies and my fishing and my hunting or my shopping or all these things. And, and, and I'm not, I, I believe in God, but there's other gods beside him. And that's what Israel began to do. And they began to compromise the word of God with idolatry. And God is no longer first in their life. And they thought God had left them in this moment. But in reality, they had left God. They had pushed other things aside and made every other thing in their world just as important as him. That's what we do in America so many times. It's like, I'm not, not a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in a Jesus. If you go knock on anybody's house in the southern United States, they're probably going to tell you, unless they're you know, Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, they're going to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's kind of what we do. But really, in reality, we've got all other gods just as powerful as that God. And we've got all other gods just as many uh, as, as the days of the week. And so God gave them over to their sin. We wonder why in so many homes and so many places in America, why we suffer so much and why we uh, deal through so many things without hope and we feel like everything's been taken away from us. But in reality, God hasn't left us. We might have left him. When life is going well, it's easy to let God push to the side. We could say, I'm focusing on my comfort. I'm focusing on my pleasure. Or maybe it's that unforgiveness that I've really failed to let go of, that I'm, I'm going to hold on to this. It's, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do all the things I want to do. I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to serve God. But I'm really going to hold on to this unforgiveness. Or I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. I can go to church and still have that. Or I can, I can go to church and I can still keep that, that one thing in the back of my closet. And I, I, can keep that, I can keep that bottle of pills for that rainy day. I can keep that, that beer in the back of the fridge just if in case I need to, I need to uh, take the edge off. I, I can keep this one little magazine of pornography just on the back just in case. I don't have to give up this one thing. I don't have to give up that one thing, and I can hold on to all this other thing, but I can still be a Christian, and I can still hold on to that one thing and still serve God. Israel had gotten to that place, and life had become to a devastating point. Is God the only God in our life? What do our relationships, our careers, our hobbies, our entertainment stand and place and standard with God? But the amazing thing about God is Israel cried to the Lord and God was still standing ready to forgive. That's how good our God is. Even though we walk away from him, man, he's still ready to forgive. So here's what happens. Israel got to this place, serving other gods, left him. Life comes in like a plague, devastates them, and they're trying to hold on by every means necessary. So look with me in the next verse. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. God began to raise up a small man, a deliverer. It says in verse 11, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gibeon, Gideon, who was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. 
And the angel Lord appeared to him and said to him, Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. O valiant warrior. The Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? How does the Lord abandon us and give us into the hand of Midian? And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. That's one of the tribes he was in. And the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So what happens? Israel had cried out to God. God's God's saying, I'm going to raise up a deliverer. He sends the angel of the Lord uh, as a man. This, the angel of the Lord, anytime uh, in Scripture it says the angel of the Lord, often that is a, a theophany, that's an appearance, a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so this right here, we would think, is Jesus himself appearing before he ever appeared in the, in the New Testament, right? So God has come, just like he came with Abraham, just like he showed and wrestled with Jacob, just like he sh- stood in the fire, uh, would later stand in the fire with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that Jesus himself has manifested in a, in a man form. And showed up as an angel, basically. All right? And so he says, Gideon, I'm calling you out of something. I'm calling you to something. He said, what does he tell him? He says, oh, valiant warrior, aren't you glad that God isn't calling you in your sin something? He's not saying, hey, you, you sinner, I'm going to do something. But you know, he says he's not calling out of his condition. He's calling him in his position of faith. If he would believe and obey the word I'm about to give you, God is already calling him who he could be if he believes in faith. Aren't you glad that when Jesus calls you, he's not calling you all that you were. He's calling you what you can be. That's good preaching right there. That God is speaking something of faith on Gideon. He says, you, you valiant warrior. Where was Gideon at? Look in there. It says that Gideon was in a wine press trying to thresh grain. Now, that makes no sense to us because we're not from that area. But threshing was this flat place where you would throw up some grain and the chaff would blow away and the wheat would fall down. But a wine press is kind of like the surrounding thing where there's walls. And it's not the place where you thresh grain. It's the place where you press grapes and wine. Right. So he's in the wrong place. That is what life does to us when we are not walking with God. Everything begins to fall apart. Gideon is fearful for the enemy that is coming. And he's doing the very best he can to save every ounce of grain he can so these people wouldn't steal it. He's going to take it. He's going to go hide in the caves for a few weeks until all these locusts of men pass. When sin begins to devastate us and things begin to walk out of our control, what do we do? We try to fix it. I'm going to try to fix my life. I'm going to try to hold it all together. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to help more, and I'm going to serve more. I'm going to do anything I can to earn my power back, to earn my control back. And Gideon's life is falling apart. He is in a depressed state. He's thinking, why in the world has this happened, God? God, where are you? Where have you been? What are you doing? I'm doing everything by my own effort, God. I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm not even doing it in the right place or the right order. And Jesus comes down. He looks to him, and he says, Man, your life is a wreck. You have been trying on your own power. But if you would just believe what I'm about to tell you, you will be a valiant warrior. And Gideon looks at him and is like, you're joking. I don't even know who you are. What are you doing here? I'm trying to get my life in order. I'm trying to get my things. And, we look, and so many times God looks at us and he's like, guys, you are just like a gerbil on a wheel trying to just get and going somewhere, but you're not moving anywhere. 
None of Gideon's efforts was going to stop the locusts coming. None of Gideon's efforts were going to really provide him any much prosperity. All the things he kept trying to do on his own effort were just going to lead to another rat race of life. And Jesus says, hey, man, you're blind to the ignorance of your own devices. Your life is erect, but I'm calling you out of your condition and into a new position. You are a valiant warrior. I'm not calling you to you who you are, but I'm calling you to who you could be if you obey the word I'm about to give you. You know, and like us, and like Gideon, we're not anything special. Gideon, like us, we live in a world filled with the effects of sin. There's trauma, there's suffering, there's death. But Gideon, and like Gideon, we can try our best by our own efforts, and we can still fail to overcome sin. I can try my best to break that addiction. I can try my best to change that attitude. I can try my best to have peace in my heart. I can try my best to have a great marriage. I can try my best to be a good father and mother. We can try our best over and over and over and still fail. But what Jesus is calling us to is respond to the Word of God in faith and be who He's calling us to be. Somebody say amen. He's calling you to be something more than you are. You need to believe that today. He's not calling you to be a better you. He's not calling you to try a little harder. He's not calling you to work out your life and obey some set of rules. He's calling you to be someone he's called you to be. He's saying, would you be this valiant warrior? We need that God-sized vision today. The Bible says in Romans eight thirty-seven, and for us, that's me and you today, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. I think we need to be some conquerors in the world today. Amen? All right, so we got a, a man who's faced devastating circumstances in the right will of life, trying to make it on his own. He's a small man, small town, small tribe, small means. And this guy, he had small faith, but God had given him a God-sized vision, so he responds. And look at what he says to this angel, Jesus. Judges six seventeen. Gideon said to him, How if I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it's you who speak to me. He's already looking for signs. How do you respond to the word of God? God says to him, I will be with you. That's the same thing he said to Moses. Moses, I'll be with you. Gideon, I will be with you. And Gideon says, well, how do I know, God, that this is true, what you say to me? How do I know that your Bible is true? That's what we say as you new believers today. How do I know that this is true? How do I know this is what you say to me? How do you know that I can overcome sin through Jesus Christ? How do I know I can come overcome death through Jesus Christ? How do I know that I can have peace with God through Jesus Christ? How do I know that this works? You simply have to believe by faith. And that's what Gideon did. Gideon goes, he, takes a, he says, okay, if this is really you, hold on just a second. I'm going to go somewhere. You stay right here. Don't move anywhere. I don't even know if you're an angel or not. I may just be dreaming. It's hot out here. So he says, stay right there. Gideon goes back home. He kills a goat. He makes some broth. He takes uh, a half a bushel of flour now, and he makes tons of unleavened bread, you know, pita bread. He makes tons of it. Now, this would be a huge sacrifice. Remember, we're in a famine. He's already in a thresh. He's in a wine press trying to thresh grain. There's not much left. It's all about to be ruined and taken away. And so he makes this huge personal sacrifice. He takes a leap of faith about something he's not sure is true or not. And he goes and he makes a sacrifice of a lamb. He takes some unleavened bread. Are you with me? And he comes over here and he places it on a rock. And Jesus is there. And he says, here's my offering. If you're this, if this is true, I lay it all down. And the angel touches it with his staff. It consumes by fire and he poof, he's gone. And immediately the Bible says that Gideon had peace with God. And he made an altar of peace on that place and began to worship God. What does that look like for you and me? 
That is that I have to stand on this word that God has said he is for you and not against you. That you can be a more than a conqueror over sin, death, Satan, and all the powers of the enemy. They'll never bind you. They'll never touch you. Do you believe that? Amen. Okay. And then Gideon says, okay, I'm going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to take everything I have, everything that's invaluable, everything that's important to me. I'm going to take my whole life. I'm going to make a sacrifice out of it. I'm going to come and I'm going to lay it on this rock. You know, the Bible says the rock of, of the Lord is Jesus Christ. I'm going to lay my life down upon Jesus Christ. And then immediately God consumed it by fire. That is by the Holy Spirit. He laid his life down on the rock of Jesus Christ. And it was consumed by the Holy Spirit as a fragrant offering to God. The Apostle Paul says that your life should be a fragrant offering to God. A living sacrifice. And so that's our call. Do we believe the word enough to say, God, I'm giving up everything important to me. My whole life, my livelihood, all my efforts have been trying to tread that wine press and do it my own way in a difficult way. It's been difficult. It's been hard. All my efforts have fallen short over sin. All my efforts have fallen short. I could never conquer death on my own. I could never overcome this depression or this oppression. I could never overcome all the things of the enemy. So I'm going to take something of my life. I'm going to let you do something with it. I lay it all down. I make a sacrifice. Lay my life down on the rock of Jesus Christ. I let the Holy Spirit consume me. Now my life is a living sacrifice, a uh, pleasing aroma to God. And then I have peace with God. He sensed the peace with God when he laid it all down on the altar. Oh, man, if we could just lay it all down on the altar to God. Say, God, I can't do it. I give up. I can't fix my mind, I can't fix my heart, I can't fix my mouth, I can't fix my hands, my attitude. The Bible says if we build our life upon the rock, we'll be a wise man, and the rain can come, and the floods can come, and the wind can blow, and it can slam against your house, but it will not fall because it's founded on the rock. Have you built your house upon the rock today? So he had small faith, a small man. Had some doubts, and he had some small faith, and he took a small step. So God said this, look at Judges 6, uh, 25. And the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, and seven, uh, second bull, seven years old, put him down on the, pull down the altar of Baal, which is belonging to your father. Cut down the Asher, which is this pole, that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. Don't you know God's worship is orderly, not like the world. And he says, Take a bull and offer a burnt offering on the wood of the Asher, which you shall cut down. You see, Gideon believed in God, and he, he knew about the old stories. He knew the Bible stories. He knew about Moses. He knew the parting of the Red Sea. He knew all of his Bible verses. He went to Sunday school when his grandmother was, uh, you know, taking him to church years ago. But somehow or another, his father didn't go to church very much anymore. It was just putting it in layman's terms, right? Didn't go to church anymore. We had a God. We believe in Jesus, but we also got these other gods, too. It says that his father had an altar of Baal and a pole, another a fertility goddess pole, and so this was there. It was a part of family tradition. It was a, uh, uh, something that we did. It was something there in the, in the back of the land. Maybe we uh, had a, you know, just a, we, we did not celebrate God. We did not go to Christmas, and we did do Easter, and we did all this stuff. But we also had these other gods in our life, too. We had these other things that we held on to. In case God didn't work, we had a backup plan. I can always turn to that alcohol. It's always there for me. I can always turn to that other relationship. It's always there for me. I can always turn to my own efforts and my own job. If this doesn't work out, I can get this opportunity. I've got this thing that'll get me through. I've got this safety net. If God doesn't come in for me, then I can trust in this or that. And Gideon, God says, Gideon, you've laid your life all down the altar. 
I've consumed it. You built your life on the rock. You can't worship the way you used to worship anymore. You've got to go back to your home and you've got to take down every place of compromise. You know, before you can fight the battle out there in the streets, you've got to be able to fight the battle at home. You've got to work out your heart. You've got to work out your family before God's going to call you into ministry, into service, and before he's going to get the, the big victory. We've got to get the f- small victories. And God's like that. It's faith is this process where God begins to work on you. He doesn't just say, hey, you're saved. Now let's go take on the devil and all of his legions. Let's go. Let's do this. You're going to Africa tomorrow. No, he's got this step of faith, this journey of faith. And it was a small step for Gideon, but really it was a big step for him. He says, give up on anything you could turn to Besides me. That's a hard place to get to. Give up on anything you could turn to besides God. Have you laid your life all down the altar? Yes, God, I laid my life all down the altar. I believe in Jesus Christ. Built my life on the rock. Filled the Holy Spirit. Then give up every place of compromise. Go to your home. Find every place of compromise. Everything that you could turn to when things get hard. Everything that you could fall back on if things got hard. And give it all up. And then take that small step of faith. Gideon, man, he's fearful. He's like, oh, man, this is going to stir up a hornet's nest, and that's exactly what it did. He takes up. He's like, okay, i got to do this at nighttime. I can't do it in front of the day because people might see me. It's going to be bad. So he takes uh, nighttime. He goes, and he cuts it all down, makes an altar, gives it all over to God, burns it up, and says, Lord, this is another offering to you. I'm taking this small step. Next morning, he gets up. Man, they are so mad. The villagers, his family, man, they come. They're like, we're going to kill this dude. It's all over for Gideon, man. He's done. Lord, at least I'm going to go out as a martyr. You know, here it is. I took a small step, got rid of the compromise in my home, got my family right, and got my home right. And his father stands up, Joash, and he says, If Baal is a real God, let Baal defend himself. His father was so impressed by his son taking a stand for God that he turned and defended him before the town. His father was an elder. And defend him before the town, and they all went back to their own way. You see, sometimes when we begin to work on our home life, we begin to work on those levels of compromise. We begin to change the way we watch TV. We begin to change the way we talk at home. We increase our prayer time at home. We read our Bibles at home. We begin to sanctify our homes. Man, we begin to reach our family. That's what has happened for Gideon. He began to reach his father by, by the way he lived, the stance of faith he took up. And maybe it's today it's reaching our children. Maybe it's reaching a, a spouse or a husband. Maybe it's reaching uh, an aunt or uncle. Or maybe it's a family at Christmas. You guys can't ever get together. But it's sanctifying that moment and saying, God, we're removing everything of compromise. God, we're removing everything we could fall back to. That relationship, I could always go back to that relationship. I'm giving that up. But I'm giving up that thing and this thing. And there could be a million things. That level of control. It could just be a simple mindset of control. I can always go back. Lord, give, we give that up. We sanctify our home. We remove all the idols in our home. Because we're never more Christian than we are in the privacy of our own home. You don't pray at home. Doesn't really do a lot of good to pray at church a whole lot. You got to pray at home. Talk with God. Be a Christian. hundred uh, percent of the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we don't turn off the Christianity or the, or the dial it in more when we go to church. We are all in with Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh, so he's a small man with small faith. God's called him to take a small step in his home. He did it. He won his family over. But man, this guy, just like all of us, he's, in, he's imperfect. He's got small doubts. Look in Judges 6.33. So then all the Midianites and Amalekites and the son of the east assembled themselves. They crossed over, camped in the valley of Jezreel. That's the valley of Armageddon. And so the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet. 
And the Abizarites were called together to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they were called together to follow him, and he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, and they all came up to meet him. You see, God had prepared Gideon for a moment. God had helped Gideon to take a small step of faith, to lay his life all down on the rock, the Holy Spirit to consume him. He called him to be something beyond himself, to leave up the rat race of life, and, and to give up all of his self-efforts of trying to get by and trying to hold on. And Gideon took this leap of faith, and he even took a small step and said, I'm giving all the compromise out of my home. I'm getting all the uh, backup plans out of my home. I'm going all in, radical faith. And then God said, and then all of a sudden, boom, what happens? Man, when you take a step of faith, don't you know the enemy's just going to show up? Don't you know that when you begin to give it all into God, the, the devil is just going to put a big target on your back? He's going to hit you harder. I can guarantee you, any new time, first time believer comes down to this altar, gives their life to Jesus, they are about to hit a battle. God's going to give you a little season of grace. And just in my 11 years of ministry, I can just know that God will give you a few days, maybe a week, maybe a month, and then it is going to get really, really hard. And you better be ready. And so he's got the Holy Spirit with him. And all of a sudden, the enemy shows up, and man, it's time for the, Lord, uh, the, the locusts to come and devour it all. It just happens to be that time of the year. They're coming. And immediately... It says the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. It means literally it clothed. And that's the same word we would think about in the book of Acts where the Spirit came upon. It clothed them. It empowered them for ministry service. It, the, the Holy Spirit baptized him, if you would, and filled him. And he let out a shout of trumpet, a, a victorious battle cry. And it rallied all the Israelites to him. Don't you know that what God has called you to, he will equip you for. Amen? Whatever God has called you to, he will equip you for. If you're willing to take the steps of faith to put it all out there on the line and say, God, I'm ready. And when the enemy shows up at your doorstep, you can be certain by faith that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be ready for battle. Amen? You're with me this morning? Amen. And so, but here's the deal. He's just like all of us. He's got, he's got little doubts. We've got these little voices like, oh, Lord, here we go. Man, it's getting really hard at our house. The bells are coming due. Uh, so-and-so's mad at me. Things aren't working out anywhere. I'm trying to go to church, God, but, man, I don't see you working. I don't see the finances coming through. My relationships seem harder than they've ever been, Lord. There's all these tests in my life. Man, it's just hard to be a Christian. It was easier when I was in the world. But here we go. Because why? Because you're called to something. You're called to something greater and the devil knows it. Despite all that confirmation, though, man, we get those doubts. And see, after all, man, Gideon, he looks at his army. He's got, man, we got 32,000 people behind me. Man, it is go time. And then what happens? He looks out across the valley. They had 135,000 troops. Don't you know that when you stand for God, you're going to be feeling like you're in the minority? Think about the 12 men that took on the world and nations fell before them. The 120 in the upper room against the whole empire of Rome and the Jewish society. They stood outnumbered, outgunned. And that's the same way. We are the weak. We are the minority. We are the few. But greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. Amen? Amen. And so they stood 32,000 against 135,000. Man, they were going to have to really know how to fight really good. And so Gideon's like, oh, Lord, have mercy. What am I doing? Got Judges 636. He says, all right, God, if you will deliver me like you've spoken, I'm going to put this fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Note that right there. He had left the wine press and went back to the threshing floor. He was living his life right, okay? 
And then he says, there is dew, if there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on the ground, then I'll know that you will deliver Israel through me as you've spoken. So he says, okay, God, you got to give me a sign. Now, granted, God had already given everything he needed. He already spoke to him who he was. He said, I'll be with you. He had laid his life on the altar. He had already seen the idols that he'd broken down, him protected. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. God's confirmed it. But here we go, God. You know, that's how we are. Lord, I don't know if I can do this or not. You've got to make sure. You've got to tell me. You've got to make really plain and clear. You've got to write this in the sky. Get one of those planes that have the clouds that come out of it and just write, yes, Heath, you can do this. You know, like a banner, a blimp, something, a spotlight in the sky. You know, you've got to see a, a butterfly land on my nose and talk to me. There's got to be something that's going to tell me this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Anybody like me? That's how it is. I've prayed those prayers before, okay? And, and he says, okay, I'm going to lay the, the, the wool down. If the ground's dry and the, and the, uh, the dew's wet uh, on it, then we're, then we're going to do it. If, if the dew is only on the fleece, then we're good. Okay, we get up in the morning. What you know? He wrings out like this whole pitcher of water out of the, out of the wool. But then he gets to think, you know what? <clears throat> wool naturally absorbs water, and that ground could have soaked up all that stuff. So he said, all right, God, just please, please bear with me. How many people know that you're just like Gideon? Hey, please bear with me. If I, let's flip that around a little bit. I wasn't sure if that was you. It could have been natural science. The weatherman said it was heavy dew. Okay, so if the wool is dry this time and the ground is wet, then I'll know that's anti-science. You know, that's, that's got to be God. Comes out and it was again. The dew was on the ground and not in the wool. And so he knew. God was gracious to him. Now, Gideon is not the example of great faith in this moment. He's just like us. That's why this story is so great, that God was gracious. The Bible says that God knows our form, that we are just dust, that God has compassion on those who fear him. But Gideon ultimately was testing God. God had already given him everything he needed for victory. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Troops are rallied around him. So Gideon, this story right here is not about Gideon. It's about God. That God is gracious to us in our doubts. We pray just like that man prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus was gracious to him. But let's be clear. We are not called from this passage to put out fleece before God. Why? Because as a New Testament uh, believer, we, the Bible says that an evil generation looks for a sign. And Gideon wasn't looking for a sign of what he could do. He was looking for a sign of what God could do. He was testing God. He was putting it on God. God, if you can do this, show me. And the Bible says that we don't need a sign. The greatest sign that God is for us, that he has power, uh, that he's for us, not against us, that his power is for us, that his love is for us, is that Jesus Christ himself came to earth, became God with us, Emmanuel, walked among us, took on our sin, died on the cross for us, rose to new life, and now has filled us with the Holy Spirit. There is no other sign needed for man that Jesus Christ is powerful over death. And that power that raised him from the dead is now living in you. And if he's got his word here to declare it and remind us of it, he's got his spirit within us. And so every day now you have something greater than Gideon even had in that moment. You have his spirit dwelling within you. You have a confirmation that Jesus Christ has come, that he is Messiah, that he's Savior. So when we come to those moments in life and we say, God, I don't know if this is possible. Can you do this? What do we look to? We look to the word of God. We look to the spirit of God. We don't have to throw out fleeces anymore and say, Lord, if this is possible, let the remote control fly from this side of the room to that side of the room. Or, or Lord, let my car, you know, turn red. Or I don't know, whatever, whatever it could be. God, if this would be your job, if I'm supposed to take this job, then do this. And if I'm supposed to take this college, then do this. If God, if I'm supposed to do that. No, we don't put God to the test we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. There's many things in, in the Bible he's made plain. You see, Gideon had already decided to do what God said to do. He was fighting the battle. 
He was on the front line. And many of us, we'd be standing back behind the front line saying, God, should I go to this college or that college? Should I take this job or that job? And often we're asking God not even the same question as Gideon. Gideon was saying, God, I'm ready to fight. I'm putting your kingdom first. I just need to know you're with me. And we're not even in the battle most of the time. We don't want to go to the battle. We're avoiding the battle. We want to take the safest road. We don't take the, 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 the one that's paved and it's got a, a hotel on the side with a jacuzzi. We want to go to that college or that job. We want to take the easy route. But God may not have you on the easy road. He may have you on a hard road and you have to say, God, I'm trusting the word of God that says I'm a valiant warrior. I'm trusting that you gave me your spirit and you've rallied all these troops around me, that this is your plan. And I'm going to go marching on. Amen. This week, uh, even Beth and I, we had a, a big decision to make in our family. Uh, no, we're not pregnant. Thank the Lord. You know, we get those. They're out of the way. They're done. All right. No, uh, Beth's job changed. Her, she, her company lost their job. And so we had a couple offers that Beth had to decide between. And we've been praying. And God, you know, God just kind of was silent. And we were saying, God, what should we do? How should, what should we do for our family? And we know you've called us to this area. You've called us to this church. Uh, you've provided all of our needs since we've been here these four years. And we're trusting in you. And so we pray. God's quiet. He didn't say anything. Beth prays. And I, we're just, uh, in that moment, what we have is we have uh, a plan of God for our life. We know we're where we are supposed to be. We trust that God has met our needs. And so what does any OCD person do like myself? We make a pro and con list. Some happy face, sad face. You know, like just, you know, plus and minus. And so you use the godly wisdom he's given you. And we say, God, what is going to be best for our family? What is going to be best for our church? And, and then ultimately, we made this decision. It says, you know, we want more time with our church. We want more time with our kids. And even if it means a pay cut, even if it means going to a job we don't necessarily like, there was a better offer with more money, we say, no, we want something that's going to be less stress, more fruitful for us in the spirit, and God will supply all of our needs. So that's what we did. We didn't have to throw out a fleece. God didn't have to send a rainbow or a dove. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got the word of God. It says, put his kingdom first, and he'll meet all of your needs. Amen. And the Holy Spirit's given us peace about that. And then they ended up giving Beth a better offer than they had originally said. And, and we thank God for that. But that's how God is. You put him first. You say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek first to build up your church. I know that your will for my family is not to be stressful. It's not to be in debt. It's not to follow the pl- uh, pleasures of this world. That We're going to seek first joy in our home and peace in our home. And we're going to have time with our children. We're gonna, who cares about all the earthly things? And we're going to spend time with our church. We want to make sure that we're here every Sunday. That was one of our conditions. How do you know she don't have to work on Sunday? Because we're not going to. We just believe God has said that that's what our plan is for our life. And so sometimes we ask questions he's already answered. He's saying, I want you to seek first my kingdom. I want you to be living without fear and anxiety. I want you to be outside of the lust of the flesh. I want you to be going and fighting the battles. But we say, Lord, I don't know. Let's lay out a fleece. Can I go this direction? Can I go that direction? We're asking the wrong questions sometimes. Getting saying, God, I'm ready on the front line. Are you with me? And God says, yeah, I'm with you. Here's a man of small means, Judges 7, 2. Look at there. The Lord says to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian in their hands. For Israel will become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. And Gideon's like, are you serious? Dude, seriously. We are 30-something thousand, right? We get 22,000 people here. All right, 22, uh, sorry, 32,000 people here. There are 135,000. What do you mean we ain't got, we've got too many troops? 
God says, no, you got too many troops. If I let you out in the battle, even though you're, you're one-sixth of them, if I let you beat up on these guys, you're going to think it was all you. Isn't that how it works? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. I, I've been going to church. I'm going to read my Bible. And because I'm reading my Bible and because I'm praying, now I'm living in victory. Woo, that's what we do. It hadn't been you at all. I'm just telling you. It hadn't been you at all. It hadn't been because you made a decision. It hadn't been because you've been doing right. It's because God's been working through you. And so he says, I can't let you go like that. He says, what I want you to do, go to there, ask every guy who's fearful and anxious, tell him to go home. Immediately, 22,000 people leave the battlefield. Gideon's left with 10,000 people. He's like, okay, now this is going to be a God thing for sure. Yeah, this is really going to be God. You've taken all my tools, all my resources. Now it's going to be go time. You got, you're going to have to do something crazy. And he says, no, 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 still you got too many people. And he says, God, you are insane. What are you thinking? 135,000 versus 10,000. We're already going to need a miracle. You're going to have to send the angels. The whole legion is going to have to come down and help us. He says, no, go down to the river. Watch them how they drink. All right, you're the boss. Okay, take them down the river. He says, everybody who bends down and puts their face to the water and, you know, slurks it up from their lips, uh, tell them to go home. But everybody who uh, bends down, keeps watch, and takes their hand and, and laps it like a dog, uh, those are the people you're going to use, the weird ones. That's the ones I want, okay? I want the weird ones. I want the ones who are keeping watch, who are always, you know, looking around. Take those guys. It was only 300 men. So Gideon went from 32,000 to 300, 300 men versus 135,000. You know what that means? If those 300 people, they're not the Spartans now, those 300 men would go out, each man would have to kill 450 people by himself. Don't you know God loves impossibilities? God loves to get the glory. Why is this? Because God said, if you go out, I want the glory. If you go out and you win against sin, if you go out and you win against death, if you want go out and you win against all the forces of the enemy, if you're beating depression, if you're get beating all the anxiety of this world, if you're bringing your family back together again, if you're uh, overcoming sex and drugs and alcohol and all these things, if your mouth is changing from cursing to blessing, if you begin to see families united, I want the glory because it's not ever you. It's always me. It's always me. And so he goes... And he's saying, all right, God, I have small means, small means. There's no way we can win. You know, whatever stands against the blessing of God in your life, God is only looking for faithful and prayerful men. The Bible says, watch and pray, just like those men they were watching. And God says to us, watch and pray, be spiritually minded, be ready. He's looking for faithful men and women who are ready to fight. He took away the fearful men. He kept only the watchful men. And he says, I'm looking for people who are faith-filled, watching and praying, ready to fight the battle. But I also want so few of you, to, or so many of you understand, is that I need you to be in small means. I love to confound the wise with the foolish. I love to come against impossible odds because I am the God of impossible. I'm a God of the supernatural. And you have to know you, that you know that you know it's me. And so the biggest enemy that day was not the 135,000 men. It was that Israel would take the glory from theirself. The biggest risk on that battlefield was not against the enemy, but saying, I'm going to trust in self more than I trust in God. If you want the victory over sin today, it's impossible. If you want the victory over death today, it's impossible. Go die and try to raise yourself back up to new life. See what happens, right? It's impossible. You can't beat things on your own. There's no way we can win against Satan. It's impossible. The Bible says, be careful if you're standing firm because you will fall. Because all of your glory must be in the Lord. 
all of our glory must be in the Lord. It is before grace and glory that I'm at this pulpit today. Heath Harris has no ability in his own. It's for grace and glory that you are sitting here today believing and breathing and victorious over sin and death. It's for the glory of God. So what happens? Wrapping it up. 300 men go out. He says, all right, 100 go this way, 100 go that way, 100 go this way. Take a torch. Take a torch. Take a jar. And uh, take a trumpet. All right, we're all going to go out. 300 of them. And at nighttime, they surrounded the enemy camp. Gideon has just been encouraged because he heard a dream of one of these enemy soldiers. And that dream said that there would be this rolling loaf of bread, deadly loaf of bread, rolling down a hill and would trample over the things of Midian. Don't you know God just uses bread against swords? I mean, that's what has happened. Hey, hey, in my dreams, I'm a loaf of bread, victorious and powerful. I mean, come on. I'm not Superman, Thor, Spider-Man, whatever. No, you're a loaf of bread. You're a loaf of bread, and you're going to go in there and wipe all these people out. That's what God tells Gideon. Okay, God, because he's using foolishness. He's poverty, poor things, weak things. And so Gideon's encouraged that he's a loaf of bread, and he goes out, and he says, you go this way, you that way. At nighttime, we surround these people, and all of a sudden, he says, when I give the shout, you cry out for the Lord and for Gideon, and he says, we're going to blow the trumpet, and you're going to smash the jar, and inside your jar was your torch, and it was lit, so they hid it, and they walked through the night. And all of a sudden, he says, now, they smash the jar, all the torches go up, and they raise a shout, and they blow the trumpets, all those 135,000 men get startled and they look around. And for every flame and for every trumpet, you would think in ancient times that you would be representing a whole troop of men. There's one trumpet per troop. And so they thought there was 300 troops all around them. And in fear, they rose up. They began fighting one another and they began to kill one another. And they began to flee. And the battle was given to Gideon. Gideon rattled the other troops. They went and they took a victory over them. And for 40 years, they had peace. What we can do with God is the impossible. A small man in a small town with small faith and small means, one, because he obeyed the word of God by faith, he received the Holy Spirit, and he gave God the glory. That's your story. That's my story. I may have doubts. I may have weakness. I may have disbelief, but God is gracious to me. As long as I keep taking a step of faith, listen to me, church. As long as you keep taking steps of faith, small steps of faith with God, say, God, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm removing this idolatry from my life. I'm going to believe that you're forming out against me. I'm going to take on this battle and that battle and that battle. And the battle is not mine. It's the Lord's. And God, you receive the glory of this. And I realize, God, I can't do anything on my own. I can't beat this thing. I can't overcome this mental thing. I can't fix the way I feel. God, I can't overcome this financial issue, this marital issue. Lord, I'm leaving it to you. And Lord, I know that you are for me and not against me. Small steps of faith. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? Worship team, would you come? Where are you at today in your journey of faith? We're all like Gideon. We're weak, we're feeble, we're doubt-filled. But God is gracious. He's gracious. And we don't want to put the Lord to the test, but we want to say, Lord, I want to lay my life down on the rock of Jesus Christ. Consume me by your Holy Spirit on the altar. Remove every level of compromise in my life and let the Lord fight my battles. Let the Lord, I didn't save myself. I can't get victory on my own either. It was all God from the very beginning. He's just looking for faith-filled, obedient people who say, yes, Lord. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me.
Hallelujah, Lord God. Let's just begin to pray all across this place. Just make an altar right where you are to God and say, Lord, whatever I'm going through, Father, I just give it all up on the altar. I'm just giving it all up on the altar. Lord, I know that there are things in my heart that should not be there. There are thoughts in my mind that should not be there. There are things in my home, Lord, that need to be more sanctified. There's areas of my life, Lord, I need to lay down some uh, compromises, my backup plans. Give it all up for victory. God is calling you a valiant warrior today. He is calling you more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You can overcome by faith and the power of God who works mightily within you. Terror can come at you by now. A thousand can fall at your side, but it will not come against you. For the Lord is your God. You've made Him your dwelling place. Lay it all down on the altar. Lay it all down on the altar today. And say, Lord Jesus, use me. Use me to save my family. Use me, Lord, to save the world. Use me, O God, to see souls saved, to see victory won, to see your glory raised up, O God. God wants to use you, church. Life's not about you. It's about Him. Your story is so much better. Gideon's story would have been a horrible story about some man trying to do things his own way who died sometime long ago. But now we can live and, and think about Gideon forever. For eternity, his story is written because he believed in God. He trusted Him by faith. He laid it all on the altar and said, Lord, use me. Use me to save my family. Use me to save my country. Use me to save my community. Oh, what a great story God wants to write about you for His glory.